Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. We thank God for the privilege of being with you here uh, at Bethel today, Dr. Annie and myself. Um, we counted an honor to receive from Bishop and First Lady this wonderful invitation in our hearts. Thank God for the time we are spending together. And we also rejoice with you for 29 years of reaching the nations of the world with the gospel of grace. And that's marvelous of 50 nations and counting. And you're all part of that and we thank God for everything. Uh, could you kindly hold someone's hand and uh, let's have a moment of prayer. Our Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of belonging to you. You have claimed us as your own. And in Christ Jesus, you birthed us as your sons and daughters. And we are here today with hearts that yearn to see precisely and accurately all that you've made us in your son. As we see him, we thank you that we will be transformed because we will see as he sees us in him. To you be all praise and glory in Christ Jesus and all the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. 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 Please, you may be seated. Thank you, Father. Joy is the serious business of heaven. When God is serious, he starts laughing. It has been said, never trust an unjoyful minister. Either he doesn't know what he's saying, or he doesn't believe what he's preaching. <laughs> so joy is the infallible evidence that you believe the good news. So we're going to be very serious in this session. Serious in the heavenly sense of the term. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can we please turn to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which is the queen of the epistles. It's the queen of the epistles because you remember uh, when Paul wrote in what we have in our New Testament as a second epistle to the Corinthians in the 12th chapter, he speaks of a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, he knows not, who was caught up into the third heaven where he heard and saw things that are unlawful to account among men. Now, the church fathers tell us that what he was unable to tell the Corinthians because they were still mixing law and grace... It was unlawful to share it with them because they couldn't understand it due to their law mindset. He actually wrote when he was in prison in Rome, he wrote the prison epistles including Ephesians. So he could finally divulge some of the things he heard when he was caught up in the third heaven. And when he was caught up in the third heaven, he eavesdropped on the conversation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as he eavesdropped on their conversation, they were talking about you. 
from the eternal ages, before the foundation of the world, they were always talking about you. That gives me great assurance to know that even before I drew breath, he planned, he orchestrated, he laid this cosmos out with me in mind. You see, there are minerals he actually put into the depth of the earth because he knew it had to account for where I would live, the transport I would take. The Lord Jesus said, you know, his first sermon he gave is if you were aware that every single hair on your head has been indexed. And the moment one falls out, God is aware. You see, there's some brethren uh, who don't have many indexed hairs anymore. <laughs> but I actually looked at that passage and said, this is a biblical passage by which I can claim I will always have hair on my head. <laughs> because he said my hair on my head will be numbered. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Abba, Father. So Paul wrote of what God spoke of before the foundation of the world. You know, recently, my first son, I have five children. I believe in church growth by evangelism and procreation. <laughs> we should not be afraid to have big families. And all the to-be-married and young couples said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> and my son Sean saw a picture of his mother and I before he was born. And I saw so much bewilderment in his sight. You know, he was looking at, wow, is this what you guys look like before I was born? I said, what do you think? We didn't have a life before you were born? And I began to think of it many times. We also relate to God as though prior to our creation, he was not God. And in the eternal ages, even before we arrived, he always has been, always is God. Thank you, Lord. Listen to me. God is love. Apostle John tells us that. But for God to be love... There, there has to be a lover and a beloved in a bond of love. This is why within uh, the, the Christian faith, we have the revelation of the triunity of God, also called the Trinity. You're still here. And these three persons are one in nature. Because God's very nature is agape. So when, when God loves you, love loves you. And when love loves you, that cannot be conditional. By nature, he is love. And by nature, he planned eternally before the foundation of the world that everything concerning you and I will be summed up in the phrase in Christ. Someone say in Christ. You see, Paul wrote a system of truth. In fact, the epistles were the very first uh, inspired documents of the New Testament church. The epistles were written before the four gospels. 
as it's laid out in our Bible, is not chronological. You see, many people think that uh, our Bibles are laid out chronologically, not necessarily. In the first century, the Gospel of John is actually the last book to be written before it was included in the New Testament canon. So when Paul wrote his epistles, we're still here together, we were given not just a picture of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have in the four Gospels. In the four Gospels, we have a photograph that captures his ministry here on earth in the flesh for three and a half years. The things he said, particularly to the nation of Israel, who were at that time still under the law. And while we might learn from the four Gospels, we need to keep and bear in mind that what Jesus said before the cross may not be particularly directly addressed to the new creation race that we are. I know that's okay because I'm in Bethel. <laughs> there are some things I can say because I know I'm in Bethel. That's okay. So the New Testament, as well as uh, the scriptures in this compendium we call the Bible, must be rightly divided. It means that there are things to be distinguished. Orthotomeo is a term rightly divided, and it means to distinguish in their category. You remember, I don't know if you were in secondary school and you dissected a frog. And when you dissect a frog, they show you that they're different parts. All the parts are not the same. All the parts don't have the same function. Well, Paul says, you need to see that you do not offend neither the Jew, nor the Gentile, nor the church of God. And those are the three different groups to whom God has given uh, particular messages throughout the Old and New Testament. And the church many times is victim of an identity crisis. Because we put ourselves in all the things God said to Israel under the law. And we're thinking of ourselves as uh, Israelites, you know. Praise God. <laughs> Woo! Let's be serious this morning. <laughs> and many, many times when people go through difficulty, they say, I'm crossing my wilderness. I'm going through my wilderness experience. Well, you went through three days and three nights of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, not the 40 years of unbelief of Israel. It's time for us to assume our identity. We are in Christ. Yes, we learn from the Old Testament. It was written for our learning, for our benefit, but not necessarily to us. What is the first thing you did in those days when they used to send something called snail mail? Now they call it snail mail because it's so slow. You actually had to take out a pen. You remember those things? Yeah. You, <laughs> you would take out a pen and you would write a letter and then you would fold it, put it in something called an envelope for you younger people. And you would lick a stamp. <laughs> and write the address of the recipient and post it. Now, what's the first thing you do when you receive a new mail? You check whether you are the intended recipient before you open the letter. Now, that basic common sense should also be applied hermeneutically. 
In our interpretation of the Bible, the question is, is it your mail that you're reading? Our problem is we read someone else's mail and we assume we are the people being addressed when we open any portion of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, particularly the ministry uh, to the Jewish people who had, God had to speak to them differently because they had been chosen from amongst all nations to be that people uh, through whom Messiah would, would come. And so he had to give them a prophetic context. But at the same time, because of their misunderstanding of God, God had to prove to them that they were spiritually bankrupt, unable to attain divine righteousness by divine works. So you know what? Due to their own insistence, God said, I will frustrate you. I'm going to prove all men as disobedient so that I will conclude all available to my mercy. And what Jesus came to do is universally for all men, but must be particularly received by faith. So what God did in Christ is sufficient for all, efficient for whosoever believes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to have a good day today. So Paul actually wrote to us. You see, when you open your Bible, it should fall open to the epistles. It shouldn't open to these Psalms that, uh, that David said, do not let my enemy triumph over me. <laughs> you know, some, some people spend all their time uh, calling down fire on their enemies. Whoever don't know what my progress, Holy Ghost, fire. <laughs> Did you know James and John actually tried to pull that in front of our Lord? <laughs> Remember in Luke 9, they tried to pull that in front of our Lord, and they thought that he was going to be impressed because he was going to Jerusalem. Um, and he wanted to pass through Samaria, but because of the Samaritan tribalism with the Jewish brethren, they said, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're not passing here. So James and John said, Lord, give us permission to call down fire. fire. You know, not fire, fire. fire. <laughs> to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. You know what our Lord did? He sternly rebuked them. You do not know what spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save, to offer his life as a ransom for many. So stop calling down fire on your enemies. Come on, someone say, I live in the epistles. That's where we live. We need to know our mail, what was addressed to us. Now, once we know what is addressed to us, we can interpret the rest of the Bible in the context of the upgrading of Revelation. Because before the Son of God arrived, there were many things that were said. Can I, say, can I share this with you? I'm in Bethel. I'll do it. By the way, I'm going, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm leaving, by the way. So. <laughs> 
you know. Our Lord arrived, and when he started his ministry in Israel, he caused a scandal. He said in John 1.18, no man has at any time seen God. What? He speaks to the Jewish authorities, and he says no man at any time has seen God except the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, for he hath declared him. What about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah? People love Elijah. You know, every, every few months there's a new guy calling himself Elijah somewhere. I don't know why. <laughs> They had many things they experienced, but Jesus said, in view of what you have deduced from what they wrote, no man has perceived God at any time. That word for seen means perceived. It means you haven't interpreted what they wrote correctly. So I have come not from an outsider perspective, I'm coming from within the very bosom of the Father, with the same nature of the Father, to come and unfold to you what He is really like. So two principles here. First of all, God is Christ-like. Number two, God is immutable, which means everything you see in the Old Testament, which is not Christ-like, has another interpretation. Oh... For instance, you know God doesn't kill anybody. This is going to be good. Man of God, he says, he is the Lord that slayeth. And the Lord that maketh alive. Exactly. My question is, what does he slay? And what does he make alive? He slayed our sin. He's the killer of death. Death died in the death of Jesus Christ. And he makes us alive. Many people died in the Old Testament as a consequence of their decisions and actions. But when God told Adam and Eve, the day you partake of this fruit, you will surely die. He didn't say the day you partake of this fruit, I'm going to kill you. Did you take note of the difference? (laughs) So because of this mixture and commingling, commingling is attempting to make two different systems function. That's why you can't mix law and grace. You can't mix the old and the new. You cannot assume your identity in Adam and simultaneously affirm what you are in Christ. There's no old man, new man mix. That the old man is somewhere in there, and the new man is somewhere in there, and we're going to feed, the one we feed uh, the more is going to be stronger. No, that's called confusion. Confusion is attempting to fuse two different things. You want to know how the Greek word confusion is translated? It's translated as a term shame. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. It doesn't say it has the power of God. It is the power of God. 
Man of God, we need the power. We need the power in the church today. We need to raise our voices for God to send down fire. You see, the reason for the power deficiency is gospel deficiency. <laughs> Woo. It's not a power deficiency per se. It's a gospel deficiency. I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So until the righteousness of God is revealed, the gospel hasn't been preached. Righteousness of God. You know, I will get there. I have a bit more time today in this session. So, okay, in Ephesians 1, from verse 3. Someone said, I live in the epistles. You see, the problem with many believers is a mistaken identity. Unless you know whose you are, you cannot know who you are. And our position is our possession. I laugh when I hear the fish in the lake complaining of thirst. When the fish in the lake is complaining of thirst, it's because he doesn't know where he is. So how can the believer in Christ complain of being deficient, of not having this, of not having that, you see, once you understand what it means to be in Christ, you will understand like the Apostle Paul. You would say, I have learned. That term learn means I have been manthan or I have been initiated into a secret. I have learned to master every circumstance. He said, whether in adversity or in prosperity, he said, I've mastered it all. I've learned to be independent of the circumstances in which I find myself. So if you would put $10 million in front of the Apostle Paul, you say, praise God, thank God. He wouldn't move him. If Apostle Paul learned that all the $10, the $10 million that he was just given has been all taken, he would say, well, praise God. He learned to be independent of external situations and circumstances because he knew what it means to be in Christ. If you are... An heir of God, joint heir with Christ Jesus. Ooh, you know what that means? Equal position, equal possessions. I said equal position, equal possessions. That's what I'm talking about in Christ, the consummate declaration. What is there greater that can be said than that you are in Christ? For if you are in Christ, you are what he is. You are where he is, you have what he has, and you can do what he does. Woo! I'm not here by myself this morning. I said, I'm not here by myself this morning. I am in Christ. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where? In Christ. That's the signature of God that verifies the work he has done. You know, an unsigned signature will not cash. In fact, they'll call security. 
And the reason why many believers have not is because they know not. There are indispensable things which we must know, and we must know our identity. We must know what belongs to us. And it's in Christ. Every spiritual blessing doesn't mean that these blessings are spiritual and now we need to find a way to make it material. I don't know why. Our human psyche is always looking for an opportunity to add our works to the equation. We're looking for some kind of work. You know, man is a homo religiosis. Even the atheist who says he doesn't believe in God, there is a version of God he doesn't believe in. <laughs> so we always look for something and we say, oh no, these are spiritual blessings. We need to make them material. No, no. That term spiritual, pneumaticos, it means proceeding from the spirit. So the Spirit is the one who has brought these blessings into our lives. And He's the one who teaches us as well. Do you know the mission of the Holy Spirit? The mission of the Holy Spirit, specifically to the world, is to convict them of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment. Of righteousness, for I go to the Father. So it means Jesus stands in in the presence of the Father as the evidence you are righteous. Wow. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the certification that you are irreversibly righteous. If the work wasn't done, he wouldn't have emerged from the tomb on the third day. I preach myself happy. I can go right now. Of sin, because they believe not in me. So what is sin for the world? To not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only sin which condemns a person. Are we serious? Heavenly serious. Not really. Heavenly serious. Are we serious? And of judgment because the prince of this world has been cast out. Now look at this now. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, he says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is of God, who has come to teach us those things which we have freely received from God. The power of the gospel is found in his tenses and prepositions. You know, it's a very frustrating thing if you keep asking me for what I gave you. If you come up to me and say, well, uh, Sean, could you help me with this or that? And I say, okay, can I have your account number? And a transaction is sent, a confirmation is sent. I said, all right, it's done. At that moment, there's a transaction within your account of which you must inform yourself to go and receive what has been supplied. But if you keep looking at what's around you and say, but I still have the need, I still have the problem, it hasn't been solved yet. Could you send me what I ask for? I would tell you, look, I've already done the transaction. You need to inform yourself and go and get what is already yours. 
The frustration of many believers is that they are trying to receive what God already gave them. Because the term receive means much more than just repeating, I receive. I see believers do that a lot. I receive. Well, the fact that you say I receive doesn't mean you received it. (laughs) I receive, you look up the word gambano, it actually means to acknowledge it's yours already. So it will affect your consciousness. It will affect your interaction with your sense of need. If you know you received it, you won't worry about it anymore. You won't fear anymore. You won't walk with that state of depression and discouragement. I don't know what I'm going to do. Because you received it. (laughs) So we are blessed by the Spirit. The Spirit has been sent to show us what already belongs to us. You know, I I love the move of God, the power of God. I'm not a cessationist. But so many times we have a wrong impression of what the mission and ministry of the Spirit is. He primarily came to teach you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. (laughs) According... (laughs) As he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Christ. What does that mean? If you've ever gone shopping for a family member or for your loved one, you select something with them in mind. This is the term here. We were pre-selected when the father elected his son to be the one as the archetype of the image we would bear. We were created to bear the image of the Son, to have the same relation that the eternal Son has with his Father. And when Adam came, he was an image of that image. He was a prefiguration. Today in theaters, always, you go early, you always see the previews. You see the summary of what is forthcoming. Adam was the preview of Christ to come. And I, you know, I ask people in the first service, let me do the same exercise now. And let me see those who were not in the first service. (laughs) Had Adam not fallen, would Christ have come? Oh, you were in the first service. (laughs) Had Adam not fallen, Christ would have come. But many times people think no. Many times people think Jesus is a footnote to Adam's history. Many times people think Jesus is God's plan B. And so when you think with such a notion, you think God's original plan was for man to obey him by his own willpower. And when that failed, God had to arrange a subsidiary plan. And so the result is Jesus. No wonder people think we're heretics when we preach on the pure untainted grace of Jesus Christ. You know how I describe it? There's a booklet. I'll bring it next time for you. We offer it free all over the world. It's called Jesus Christ plus nothing equals to everything. Change nothing in the equation. You have to leave it as it is. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals to everything. Are you still here, somebody? 
You know, um, Athanasius, have you heard of Athanasius, Council of Nicaea? He refuted Arius, who thought Jesus was, you know, the, the spiritual grandfather of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Arius, you know. <laughs> he said, people need to be careful how they throw heretic at people, because it is generally heretics who label their opponents as such. <laughs> uh, <laughs> woo, and if you call me heretic, I'm in good company. I'm with Jesus and Paul and Bishop Johnson. <laughs> Jesus is not God's plan B. He never counted on Adam. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So before this cosmos was laid, God in his foreknowledge knew man would sin. And he also knew that when his eternal son would assume human flesh in the incarnation, they knew he would be crucified. But he still chose you. He still created this cosmos because everything was hinged not on your power to decide right from wrong. That is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's religion. Can I help you? When, when man fell, what's the first thing he did? He hid from the voice of God. And he built a fig leaf apron. What does an apron cover? It covers your stomach and your genitals. But tell Adam not to turn around. Because I don't want to tell you what will happen if he turns around. He's still naked. So religion attempts to regulate appetite and sensuality and no matter what the label of the religion, that is what it's going to do. It has nothing else to offer but that. And it isn't interesting that when the Lord Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on Passion Week, he went in front of a fig tree to prophetically demonstrate what he was about to do. And he inspected the fig tree whether or not it had fruit and there was no fruit on the fig tree. And he caused the fig tree and said, let no man eat from you any longer. And Peter looked at the other disciples and said, master needs to rest. He's really tired. He's speaking to trees now. <laughs> Nothing happened at that moment. But 24 hours later, the fig tree was withered from the root. The Lord Jesus was prophetically demonstrating that he's about to enter into Jerusalem. And for 2,000 years, man has resort for, for 4,000 years from the time of Adam's fall to the moment he was about to enter into Jerusalem. Man had resorted himself to try and regulate his appetites and his passions in order to please God. But for 2,000 years, that had not produced any fruit. So he cursed the system of religion and he said, no man's going to eat from you any longer because I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to rectify this thing of disobedience and I'm going to bestow righteousness as free gift to everyone who believes and receives. And as a result of that, sons will live as my father has always intended. Hey! 
Religion is a frustration to the flesh. And many people are leaving churches by the Spirit of God. People don't understand what's happening. They're leaving a man-made system. And that is why more than ever before, I believe God is raising us up. Raising churches such as yourself. Raising up ministers such as Bishop Johnson and all of those who are part of this. To preach the gospel of grace. The harvest is ripe. People are ready for this. You see, if the Lord doesn't frustrate you, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Thank you. Woo! Thank you, Lord Jesus. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. What kind of holiness is this? How is God holy? The seraphim sing the, the hymn. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God of hosts, heaven and is full of your glory. How is God holy? God is holy in the manner in which each person of the Godhead gives himself to the other. You see, I am holy unto my wife. My wife is holy unto me. It's a relationship by which we possess one another. There's a giving and receiving. There's a perichoresis. There's an interpenetration. There is an indwelling. All of her and all of me are one. That is the sense in which he made us holy. That we would not just be close to him, not side by side, but we would live in him and him in us. A mutual indwelling by which what is his will become ours. You see, grace means... In Christ. Woo! Grace means in Christ. You see, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He that was so rich became poor, that by his poverty we might become rich. He's not just speaking about material riches and poverty. No, he's saying by the grace of God, he became what we were. That we might be what he is. He took your poverty and gave you his riches. He took what was yours and made it his and took what was his and made it yours. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He took our curse and gave us his blessing. He took our sense of alienation and he gave us his sonship. He took our condemnation and gave us his justification. You don't need to break curses because he who was hung on the tree, he bore our curse that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is justification. It's not gold and, and, and Rolls Royces and stuff like that. That's the benefit of living without condemnation. But the blessing of Abraham is that you are made righteous without works. Before him in love. Say, I'm standing before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, we were saved from sin. But did you know what we were saved for is greater than what we were saved from? 
We were saved for sonship. We were saved to be included into the family circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And did you know what? Sonship determines heirship. Woo! That's why the kind of covenant we have under this new covenant is not what is called a, a, a bilateral covenant. It's not if you do this, I'll do that. No. The kind of covenant we have is what is also translated as a testament. As a testament, you have to, you have, to have an identity. It's not something you do. You have to be someone. And if you can certify that it's your identity, you have access to the whole inheritance. In an inheritance, someone else did the work, and someone else accumulated the riches, and someone else suffered. And you present yourself and get it. He did it, I get it. I said, he did it, I get it. And he did it all for you. Someone say, he did it all for me. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. He did all of that so we should know the extent of his generosity. Grace, charis, something beautiful to behold. It's a generosity so extreme that to behold it was something unimaginable. Grace is an an unearthly concept. Because we live in a meritocracy. You go to work, they they judge you on merit. You go to school, they judge you on merit. So we've grown up on our whole Western civilization mindset that everything is by merit. And so you tell someone, okay, it's free. Everything is done. In our mind, free equals cheap. (laughs) Free is the stuff nobody wants. But you know why it's free? Because it was priceless and none of us could have ever earned it. If we lived uh, millennia upon millennia of striving and trying to perfect ourselves, we couldn't attain God's standard. So you know what he did? He offers us himself. The gift we are given in the gospel is God gives us himself. He makes us one with him. Abba Father, for the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Someone say accepted in the Beloved. The English word doesn't bring this out very well. Because accepted means, okay, people think tolerated. Tolerated. Accepted in the Beloved. Okay, God accepts me. Oh, I'm tolerated. I'm fine. No. The word charito. Someone say charito. It means grace with grace. It means the highest honor that can be given to a creature. It's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time it is used is when Gabriel came to Mary and said, You are blessed among all women and highly favored. The Lord is with you. Because she was chosen for a task that was not given to any other. To bear the God-man within her womb for nine months. Can you imagine that? While she was bearing Christ in her womb, Christ was bearing the whole cosmos in himself. (laughs) Woo! We are the charito. We are accepted in the beloved. He loves you to the same extent, to the same degree to which he loves Jesus. I'm speaking to someone this morning. 
He loves you. He has accepted you. He has graced you with grace. He has bestowed to you an honor not conferred upon any other creature. Someone say, Abba, Father. Can we stand up this morning? Can we just lift up our holy hands for one moment? I want you to become aware that He has taken you and immersed you in Himself. He's taken you and identified you with Himself. You know what that means? In all things considered the same. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus who is made unto us. Righteousness, sanctification, wisdom, redemption. And he says in verse 30 that no man should glory. That no man should have an occasion of boasting. As you lift your hands this morning, I want you to simply realize he has made you what he's always wanted. You are the child he has always wanted. Jesus gave the father the family he always wanted. And that's what you are in him. You are accepted in the beloved. You see, I believe this this morning there are some people with voices of accusation, voices of failure, voices of frustration that are holding them in their mind. People who are frustrated even with their own failures. And because of that, you're thinking of God, not as father, but as someone who is looking for the least occasion to trap you. The least occasion to say, "Uh uh-huh, you've done it wrong again. I'm here this morning to speak to you. That if you you are going to grow spiritually, there's a difference between salvation and spiritual growth. If you are to grow spiritually, you have to begin to see your father correctly. You have to see yourself in relation to your father accurately. And that is why this morning, by the power of God, revealed in the gospel, I speak to your heart and mind. May you receive his rest. May you receive his sense of security. May you receive an understanding of your acceptance in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. You're celebrated. You're honored. He has received you. He loves you. He doesn't tolerate you. He's received you. Cabrieto alcurrieto bradietios. E bradimo coran catata cutor inian bradinta hunone me andal catata. You don't have to earn your healing. You don't have to earn any of these blessings. They are freely given to you. They belong to you. They are yours. Just lift your hands this morning and acknowledge it as such. To receive is to acknowledge. To receive is to acknowledge. To say, yes, it's mine. I have received it. To say, yes, it is given to me. This morning we speak by the power of God revealed in the gospel. Wholeness for mind and body. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. 
whatever is not functioning as God ordained it to function by the power of God is made whole. Every cell, every ligament, every muscle, every organ, every system today be made whole by the power of God. You are safe and sound. You are secure in the beloved. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Say, I am in Christ. I've been made what he is. I am located where he is. I have what he has. And I can do what he does. I have union with him. A mutual indwelling. All of him. In all of me. All of me. In all of him. What was mine, he took and gave me what is his. I acknowledge it as such, and I celebrate this morning. I accept my acceptance. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Abba, Father. Can you lift up your voice and give a serious shout? listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.